Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Well, good afternoon, good early evening to everyone. It is Monday, July the 10th, 2023. It is currently 5.46 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I've been sitting in my studio for, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. I, I don't even know how long I've been up here. Been up here a little while. Um, I don't I don't have the exact time in front of me. But as I was sitting here, I saw a devotional that kind of got me thinking a little bit. And I don't really know which direction to take this. But it's just one of those devotionals that yeah, I, that gets sent to me every day. In fact, I received this devotional today at eleven oh one a.m. But I had not, you know, I hadn't had a chance to read it. It it showed up in my email inbox. It's the learn learn. Let's see, what is this? Learn the Bible. It's from learnthebible.org. LearnTheBible.org. That's all run together. LearnTheBible.org. And I received this. It's a daily devotional. I, I subscribe to so many of these. I don't even know how many emails I get a day with like devotional thoughts and, and, and daily devotional ideas. And I love that because it always, you know, I, again, like for example, I'm sitting here not really knowing exactly what to do. I open my email inbox. Here's this devotional thought. Sometimes I read them and I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm kind of like, well, I don't really know what to do with that. And then there's sometimes I read a devotional thought from one of my email subscriptions that I have, and I'll be like, wow, I need to really work on that. I need to spend some time with that. And I'm just going to be honest with you. A lot of times I forget about it and I, I move on to other things. But I think the th- I think what caught my attention was how this started. Now, they give me the text first, so I should probably read the text to you. So I'm going to read the text to you and follow their kind of their outline. Um, But there was just one sentence that really caught my attention. But let's read the text first. The text for this devotional thought is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I don't know if you have the opportunity this evening or late afternoon, whatever time it may be, wherever you may live, or or you may not be even listening live, whenever you may hear this. If you have the opportunity, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3. Now, I could stop right there. 
and I could say, work on a, a just a, a simple outline of Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Make a list of all of the important theological questions that should arise in your mind from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, because there are many very important theological questions that should come to your mind, right? There's a, there's a number there that we could work on and I could we could just start trying to unpack them. But I'm going to just ignore all of that. I'm just going to ignore all of that right now. And I'm just going to look at this email. All right, but that was Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. The title of this devotional thought, again from learnthebible.org, is this. He led thee to humble thee. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Underneath that, they have introductory thoughts. Careless Bible students often make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of God's interaction with man. Now, that's the sentence that caught my attention. That's the sen- a sentence. And the reason why is, number one, I don't ever want to be accused of being a careless Bible student. So anytime I see careless Bible students do whatever, whatever an article, book, doesn't matter, a lecture, sermon, if they say, Careless Bible students do these following things. Trust me, I'm grabbing my pencil. I'm grabbing a notebook. I'm writing down and going, make sure I never do those things again. Make sure I do I do that. I'm going to test myself. I'm going to examine myself because I don't want to be a careless Bible student. That accusation bothers me greatly. I want, because I take the scriptures seriously and I want to try to understand them. Okay. Doesn't mean that I'm more godly than anyone. I just don't want to be a careless Bible student, right? There's just something in me that, and, and, and it could be fleshly motivation. It could be fleshly, right? It could be the motivation that I just don't want to be a careless Bible student because I want to be the best at something. It could be my competitive nature. It could be arrogance. It could be pride. I'm not saying it's godly. I just don't want to be the careless Bible student. I just don't want to be. I hope the motivation is right, righteous and godly, but I, I cannot say for sure. So as soon as I read something that says careless Bible students make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of God's interaction with man, I was like, whoa, stop right there. So I started thinking, how many times do I Do you, do we, do us, does your church, my church, do we read our Bible and we read an account of God's interaction with man? Here's here's God interacting. It doesn't matter with whom, Abram, Abraham, it doesn't matter, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, whomever it may be, Moses, whomever it may be. Do we sometimes read those stories of God's interaction with men, with people, and we, we, because we're careless Bible students, we make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of that interaction. Do, we ju- do you make wrong assumptions about why God is interacting with someone? Do you make wrongful assumptions? Now, that immediately made me start thinking, how many wrongful assumptions have I made in my Bible study? How many wrongful assumptions have you made? And, and handling the text, reading the text, interpreting the text. How many wrongful assumptions have I made about the text in order to preach it? Because sometimes I think you almost go with a wrongful assumption just so, to, so you can create a sermon. I think that's dangerous. 
So I don't want to be a careful, a careless Bible student, and I definitely don't want to make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of God's interaction with man. So in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3, we see God's interaction with man, right? Let me read it again. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Here's God's interaction saying, hey, obey my law. Keep my law. When you go into the land, keep my law. Now we know they're going to go into the land and they're not going to keep the law because nobody ever keeps the law. We fall short of the law. We can't obey the law. The law is there to reveal our inability to drive us to Christ and to his mercy. But See, that's a whole theological issue. And now he's going to describe some of his past interactions with them. And thou, and thou shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. So God mentions here, it is mentioned to remind them of God's interaction with them and how he has led them in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, do we make wrong assumptions because we're careless Bible students about why God interacted with them for those 40 years? Do we make wrongful assumptions about it? Now, this devotional says this. Here we go. Careless Bible students often make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of God's interaction with man. One such example involves the reasoning for Israel's wilderness wanderings. All right, so when it comes to Israel wandering around the wilderness, why did they wander around for 40 years? Now, could it be that, well, they're wandering around for 40 years because of their lack of faith, because of disobedience, because they didn't believe God, they didn't trust God. That's why they wandered around. Would that be a wrong assumption? Or is there another reason? Now, again, I'm going to read this again. Listen carefully. All right, I'm going to read this again. Careless Bible students often make wrongful assumptions for the purpose of God's interaction with man. One such example involves the reasoning for Israel's wilderness wanderings. Several alternative explanations might be supposed, but the Bible emphasizes one primary purpose, that of humility. Now, this seems to imply the reason the people wandered around for 40 years was because of humility. The whole purpose of all of that happening was so God could humble them. Now, this raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? It raises all kinds of questions. But let, let's, let's, let's read what they say here, all right? Moses declares this truth to the people when he said, and then he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Here we go. And I quote, Moses declares this truth to people when he said, I quote, thou shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee to humble thee. He quickly added that God 
humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Deuteronomy 8.16 reemphasizes this truth. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee. The Lord selected Israel's trials and troublesome pain in order to humble them. Truth is frequently, truth is frequently that simple, but missed by those who read the Bible with preconceived philosophies and concepts. So he's saying the simple reason all of this happened was for God to humble them. And for some reason, many people miss it, even though it's simple, even though the text is clear because of preconceived assumptions or preconceived philosophies. Now, we would have to talk about, I I don't know how you typically read this, but I think it raises a question, all right? So let me read it again. All right, so in Deuteronomy 8.2, remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led thee uh, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, uh, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, once again, God already knew all of that. So he's humbling them and testing them to show them what was in their heart, which is sin, which is always in the heart of man. And he humbled thee, verse three, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Therefore, verse, um, is it verse 16? Yeah, verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Now, that's the end of the the, the introductory thoughts. Now, they do say this. Uh, they do have uh, the these three like little short paragraphs. For children, they have this. If mom or dad doesn't feel well, you should play quietly and try not to argue with your brothers or sisters. This may seem difficult, but God may use these times to test your willingness to obey both him and your parents. Okay, maybe it's all right. For everyone, the Lord chose the path of the Israelites in order to humble them. Why would people who had been delivered from bondage need to be humbled? That's a good question. Is it possible that the Lord allows us to go through trials to keep us humble? How can trials, if handled properly, work humility into the heart of those afflicted by those troubles? All right. That don't get into the deep theological issues here. So let me put forth some ideas. When it comes to Israel, God God delivers them from bondage, right? He, He delivers them from the bondage of Egypt. Now, we know, you know, and I know, he could have easily just led them directly, a straight line from Egypt right into the promised land. He could have led them directly there, making sure that they had water, had food. There was never an issue. There was never a problem. There was never even a difficulty. He could have just had them walk right into the land. He could have had all the people flee 
He could have avoided all the problems, but he didn't avoid all those problems. In fact, he led them to places where there was no water. He led them to places where there was no food, knowing exactly what their response was going to be. They were going to grumble. They were going to complain. And this would bring about judgment and, and maybe it brings about death. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, this raises serious theological questions for all of us, right? God could have led them in a way where they could have avoided any disobedience or any sin. He could have brought them directly into the promised land, but he did not. He led them literally into the very places where they would be tested, where they would be challenged, knowing that the result would be failure, that the result would be sin, that the result would be death, that the result would be judgment. Why? Why would he do that? Well, this devotional seems to imply he did this to humble the people. Now, this would, so this leads to a very important theological question for you and for me. Now, we do know we don't want to make God the author of sin. We understand theologically we cannot do that, right? We know directly God does not tempt us. Book of James seems to imply that God is not the one who tempts us directly. Now, indirectly, God would be in charge of the situation and the circumstances where in which we are tempted. Now, theologians use the idea of secondary causes. You can talk, read about this in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. There's been, you know, this has been discussed in the theological world for a very long time where God uses like God using this second secondary thing to to tempt you he's controlling it he's guiding it but since God's not directly doing the tempting then he's not then 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 we cannot say God tempted even though he's using the secondary cause God is still involved just indirectly so somehow that i guess in the minds of many Christians it gets God i guess technically maybe off the hook but he's still involved now, the, the reason I bring this up is that it raises a serious issue. God leads you or God is involved in a situation where you, you find yourself facing try or temptation or sin and you find yourself failing. You find yourself falling. You find yourself committing a sin. Now, by no means do I say you have an excuse and you can say, well, hey, you know, God did this. I'm not saying we can blame God, but we do have to ask ourselves questions like God could lead. God can keep us from sin so many different ways. There's so many easy ways to keep us from sin. Sometimes it wouldn't, we wouldn't even have to know about it. It doesn't require the parting of the Red Sea. It doesn't require plagues coming down from the heavens. It can just be little, just a little detour here. This messes up. Timing doesn't work this way and can avoid it. Like again, for Israel, he could have just said from Egypt directly into the promised land, do not stop. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go in and take it. I've already driven the people out. He could have driven them out by storms. He could have driven them out just changing their hearts. But no, he did not do that. Knowing that in each place he led them. In fact, he was the one leading them directly to these places that they would grumble, that they would complain. He literally led them to the situations. Ultimately, Deuteronomy 8 says to humble them. So how do we process that in our own lives that we find ourselves in a situation going, how did I get in this situation? Why is there temptation here? Why didn't God help me avoid this? Now, is he doing that to humble you? And then what are the benefits of it? Could your sin 
Could your failure, not excusing it, I'm not excusing it, but is it, is like, I think sometimes we have this weird, like, we, we almost look at Christianity like, okay, now you, you become a Christian, all your past failures are gone. Praise God, you're forgiven. Good. You're, everything's a new start. But then when you start sinning as a Christian, all of a sudden it becomes like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've made four mistakes. That means this. There's got to be these consequences. And then, or, or possibly you're not saved. And we immediately like process sin after someone becomes saved very differently. Maybe the reason people find themselves in these situations is God has brought them into these situations. And then that failure, not, it, it's not an excuse, but maybe the failure is actually a positive thing overall, not, not in who it hurts. Not in who you you broke a promise to or who you let down. Not saying that. But maybe there is spiritual good that derives from it. Because in Deuteronomy 8, it, it at least this devotional is implying, hey, God did all of this to humble them. Does God not remove, does, does God, in a sense, not intervene? knowing you're going to fall, knowing you're going to fail, knowing you're going to sin, but he allows it to happen ultimately for a greater good. Now, there's, there's, there, well, we got to be very careful there because we don't want to slide over into heresy, right? Because you can slide over into a heresy. Well, see, I committed the sin. God didn't do anything to, to, to keep me from it. Therefore, I'm, you know, I don't have to feel guilty. I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes we find ourselves in situations and sometimes we're like, God, why would you put me in this situation? Why would you do this? Why would you lead me to a place where there's no food? Why would you lead me to a place where there's no water? Why would you lead me to, you know, a situation where there's giants in the land and, and, and we, we don't even have the ability to fight? Well, why would you do that? Knowing, because God knows what you're going to do. He knows you're going to sin. He knows you're going to fail, yet leads you to that situation. Knowing you're going to be like, go, going back to Egypt. Knowing you're going to grumble. Knowing you're going to complain. Knowing you're going to sin. Is spiritual growth accomplished by failure? Do we spiritually grow almost by God's sovereign plan of leading us to the very place that we will fail? And through that failure, humility, humbleness, or whatever other spiritual benefit is derived from it. That doesn't excuse the sin. That doesn't mean like, hey, no, don't hold it against me. Hey, I'm just saying that if you think about any sin, God could intervene in those sins easily and avoid avoid many of them. I mean, I mean, look, just think about it. You're saved. Allegorically, you've been delivered from Egypt, but he doesn't get rid of the sinful nature. Why not? If he got rid of the sinful nature, you could just march right on to the, to the heavenly Jerusalem without any problems. Why does God not intervene and, 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 and say, well, okay, we're going to avoid this. We're going to avoid this. We're going to avoid this. We're going to avoid that. We're going to avoid. No, he doesn't. He, those things are right there. Sometimes it's almost like God just brings it and drops it in front of you and go, well, there you go. You got to deal with it. 
Now, I know I'm trying, I'm trying to balance this. This article, I mean, I know they don't do much with it. They don't do much with it, but even they acknowledge the reason this happened was God did this to humble them. Now, you could ask, what was the ultimate spiritual benefit in Israel? Because they go into the promised land and they immediately turn into idolaters and sin and they don't show their humility anyway. So whatever supposed spiritual benefit that derived from it did not ultimately fix their problem because they rebel, they sin, they're idolaters, they want a king, divided kingdom, you know, I mean, we can just go on and 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 on. I think whenever it comes to the these when it comes to the issues of Israel, I think the question is, or the problem is seen in a very real way in a, in a historical narrative. God's leading them, literally leading them, guiding them, literally. Right? Cloud, pillar of fire. He literally is leading them. Shekinah glory, like literally there. And he leads them directly into these places where there's there's going to be sin. He knows they're going to sin. He knows they're going to rebel. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And Deuteronomy 8 seems to imply, at least according to this devotional that we just read, that God did this to humble them. That was the purpose. So then I have to ask in my life, when God could easily, you know, sometimes you can see the sin coming and beg God to do this and, 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 and he doesn't do anything. And then you find yourself in the problem. You find yourself in the difficulty. You find yourself in the sin. I'm not saying that that means you're like, well, God put me here. So it's, I don't have to feel bad about it. No, we still have to feel bad about it. But maybe God is doing that ultimately for a spiritual purpose. There's no way to say that spiritual spiritual growth obviously happens through the midst of failure, through the midst of through the midst of having a sinful nature. And God doesn't eradicate the nature. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just say you're saved, boom, now you're in heaven. No, you still work, you still live in a world that is fallen. You still live in a world that's controlled by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You still live with a, a sinful nature. God does none of not, nothing to remove any of that. It's something to think about. And God's sovereignty, he literally, in many cases, just in a sense, sovereignly speaking, guides us. I'm not saying he's talking to us, telling us where to go, because he talks to us through his word alone. But in a sense, he, he directs your life right into the situation, right into the area where sin is, is going to occur. And he knows it's going to occur there. He knows that. It's almost like he's setting you up. Now, God is not the direct cause. He's the indirect cause because the thing that's going to tempt you is not God because, all right, I understand that. We, we can get into all the theological working around of that. And, you know, but ultimately, do we measure spiritual growth by the victories or do we measure spiritual growth by the failures and the sins and the lessons we learn from them? Just kind of a brief devotional thought.
on this Monday evening, July the 10th, 2023. Now, for more information about everything we do, you can go to theologycentral.net. That's our pod page, theologycentral.net. If you ever feel a desire to support us in any way, shape, or form, you can right there. I think you can leave a review there. Or if you are listening to us on the Apple podcasting app, please uh, leave a five-star rating and a positive review. That's always helpful. Of course, if you're listening to us on Spotify, please leave a five-star rating and any other podcasting app out there. If it allows for a rating, those go a long way in helping us actually get picked up by algorithms and get noticed, right? Uh, On YouTube, thumbs up is always good. A comment is always good. Sermons 2.0 app, a comment is always good. All right. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3, something to think about this evening. I don't have it all figured out, but I thought this devotional at least brought up some interesting points. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.